From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. It's my pleasure to be with you. Quick announcement. Want to make sure that you have the opportunity to be with us on September 15th through the 17th in Washington, D.C. for our Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. It's a nat- national gathering of spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives. We call them Sage Cons. Registration is open today. There will be presidential candidates, leading thinkers around the country, and then some of us like me will be there as well. I will be leading a Q&A session uh, mixer with high school and college students on Friday afternoon. People of all ages should be there. We look forward to seeing you. It will be one of the best events that will happen this year in Washington, D.C., to be sure, and we hope that you will be there with us. Go to prayvotestand.org to register today. Today on the program, the Center for Disease Control has released new guidance to help men chest feed babies. Yes, it's as awful as it sounds. We don't want to talk about it, but we're going to because it's important that you understand what's going on in the world. Also, military recruitment continues to miss goals. Why is that? Is it really just a symptom of larger cultural problems rooted in physical fitness or unfitness in our young people, as well as attitudes about how young people feel about America? General Jerry Boykin will join us for that conversation coming up as well. In addition, two institutions are facing assaults to their credibility. A significant number of Americans are expressing distrust in the Supreme Court, and a different significant group of Americans are expressing distrust in the election system. What does it all mean for our country if people lose trust in our most basic institutions and processes? Ken Blackwell will join me for that conversation coming up in the program. But first, our headline for today, President Biden traveled to South Carolina today in an attempt to trumpet the pejorative term he's now embraced, Bidenomics. This effort comes even as polls demonstrate strong discontent with the president's economic policies, with just 38% of Americans approving of his handling of the economy. But can he make it a strength? Vice President Kamala Harris and key cabinet officials are also crisscrossing the country this week, delivering Bidenomic speeches of their own. Can they convince the American people the economy is actually good and getting better? Joining me now to discuss this, as well as some other Washington, D.C. intrigue, is Congressman Tim Burchett. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability and the Committee on Foreign Affairs. He represents the 2nd Congressional District Tennessee. Congressman Burchett, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me on, Joseph. It's a pleasure, and I appreciate y'all putting out the good word. Well, it's good to see you today. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what President Biden has been talking about today. Here's part of what he said earlier today in South Carolina. Let's play clip one. Our plan is working. And one of the things I'm proudest of is working everywhere, not just in the coast and big cities like previous recoveries. Congressman Burchett, is President Biden's economic plan working? I don't think so. I mean, I guess if you're a Marxist, maybe. Um, honestly, it's uh, he's he's riding on Trump's coattails as much as possible. This um, this economic uh, downturn. I mean, we were in COVID. Of course, in, you you turn off the the COVID talk, and the spigots are going to come on. Obviously, you're going to see some uptick. And and what he's looking at too is um, is where it was when he took office. 
and then um, it, it got it, it progressively got worse, and now it's getting better, and it's not anywhere near back to where it was when Trump was in office. So no, absolutely not him. I, I sort of think what they do is they have these little twenty-five-year-old liberal kids come out of these publicly educated schools, and they um, and they're advising him and telling this is what you ought to do, and that's their think tank, and that's who's really got his ear is these pro- young progressive liberals, and um, and telling him what they want to what they think they want to hear. And the reality is the people that actually pay taxes and work in this country um, do not agree with this any shape, form, or fashion. That's why his numbers are so far down. And it does show that his, uh, his, his effort to make this case is an uphill climb. But one of the arguments that they are making, a leading talking point, has to do with inflation and the inflation rate. And I want to throw this graphic up on the screen from the White House that they've published showing there's been a decline, and this is true, in the inflation rate from a high of 9% to what it's at right now is 4%. Now, notably, it was 1.4% when he took office. Congressman Burchett, should Americans be optimistic about what's happening with inflation at this point? Well, I'm an optimistic person. I'm always hoping it'll turn around. But the reality is, if you were making $100,000 when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris um, began their reign of terror, so to speak, that then um, you would be making the equivalent of $75,000 now. That's within a couple of years that your your earning potential and power have dropped um, so much like America's once proud prestige across the globe has dropped. And I think you're going to continue to see this. And they can keep saying these lies over and over and over and hoping that people will believe it. But you just got to go down to the supermarket and see the prices. And you're not going to. And and then you see the signs. They're paying people X amount of dollars, unbelievable amount to flip burgers. But yet people aren't making it on that anymore. So it's um, it's it's just uh, I think he's just he's he's really putting out all he can. Um, that he has, and it, what he has is not the truth, and it's a, it's a pitiful state of. The, the trouble we've gotten into is we just we, we've cranked out so much money, we've given out so much money, you know, all these programs, and you know, COVID on down the line, and then, um, and we we um, have deflated the value of our dollar so much that that I don't know that we can keep up with it, and you know, then you, of course you have the Fed now they're going to stick their fat nose right in the middle of it. And I don't think it's going to get any worse. I mean, any better. And I think if it does, it's artificially going to get better. And then, um, then the reality sets in that, yeah, you might be making more money, yet your dollars will buy so much less now that none of this matters. Congressman, you just hinted at the spending problem. We have another chart I want to show that pre-COVID, uh, we, the American people, were spending $4.4 trillion annually. That was our budget. Post-COVID, it inflated to $6.8 trillion in 2021. As of 2023, it's down uh, to $6.3 trillion, which is, of course, nearly a 50% increase from just a couple years prior to that. Uh, when we look at those numbers and the spending that happened during COVID, and that was uh, w- part of a Republican administration, then certainly a Democratic administration, because of those spending increases, was inflation inevitable regardless of who the president was going to be? No, I don't think it was. I think um, you saw a clear ending coming um, with COVID, yet they just keep generating more and more dollars. You know, the biggest fight we've had in the last few years is we're saying we want to go back to pre-COVID spending levels. And yet the, the, the liberals in Congress 
and said, oh, wait a minute, that'll, that'll cause a complete collapse. But you name me one government program that's been added to since COVID that has made your life better. And I dare say you could name, you couldn't name anything. And the reason is, is because the, they've, the funding of these woke programs, things the state department are exporting to our, you know, uh, transgender uh, uh, beauty pageants. So you just name it down the list. And they should be, what they should be exporting is, um, is, is America's uh, good things that we do. Our, our democracy one, which we're failing at now, and um, and and of course capitalism, which <laughs> which to me seems to be uh, um, is now a bad word being taught in our in our colleges and our campuses and our public institutions. So I think you've got a real deeper problem there than than this, and it just keeps they just keep adding to it and adding to it with this crazy spending, one hundred and fourteen billion dollars unchecked to Ukraine, and we don't know where that money's going. Um, and just you just go down the list. Joseph, it, it is just, um, it's incredible the amount of spending that we're increasing on. And then yet when we put up a proposal, we brag about how we're going to decrease the rate of growth. Well, it's still growing. If it's growing and, you know, the, the most conservative issue uh, plan we had would still add 2 trillion a year. And in 10 years, less than 10 years, the largest item, the largest single item in our budget will be just interest on our loan. And who are we paying that interest to? our enemies overseas, primarily China. It is a potentially devastating scenario we're creating for ourselves. One other question, though, on the economy, because you talk about the spending, and everyone seems to recognize that it is unsustainable. But the way it's being framed by the White House, I think, is notable. And I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Let's play clip two. That's Bidenomics. It's rooted in what always worked best for this country, investing in America. Because when you invest in our people, when you strengthen the middle class, we see stronger economic growth that benefits everybody. Congressman, every time President Biden proposes legislation to spend trillions of dollars that we don't have and put it on the credit card, he refers to it as investing in America. What's the difference between investing, which in theory we all like, and merely spending money we don't have? Well, if you look at the... Um... The, the idea of, of excusing student loans, um, you're going to tell a kid going to Harvard or Yale that um, and some truck driver who's out there busting the hump, his hump every day, that he's going to have to pay for some kid's college education that should have read the fine print as an adult, yet all of a sudden they don't have responsibility. Again, another problem. It's the generation of everybody gets a trophy. Now everybody gets a free college education. And let me tell you, when you make something free, it becomes worth just that, nothing. And that is exactly what we're doing with these um, with these programs. And it just on down the line. Anytime he says we're going to invest in America, he's not investing in America. What he's doing is taking from the taxpayers and um, and buying his his reelection with your taxpayers by where he claims to be pushing up the middle class. In reality, he's he's doing everything from that. He's just paying people not to work, paying for programs that do not work, that have not worked, yet keeps investing your our billions of now it's upon trillions of dollars in programs that do not work. And that is his investment in America. And, and until he gets out of the White House, that's not going to stop. He will, uh, through executive order or whatever, fiat or whatever you want to call it, that is going to continue. And we've got to keep, and, and to, Congress has to have some guts, Joseph. 
we have we're supposed to be uh, have government's checkbook and not America's checkbook, but the government's checkbook. Yeah. There is a difference there. And our gov- and we need to start using that in these departments. And until we do that, um, we're going to be sunk. Well, to that point about Congress having some guts, new topic for you. You serve on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. Evidence seems to grow that uh, President Biden, despite previous denials, may have, in fact, had conversations with Hunter Biden about foreign business dealings and may have, in fact, personally benefited from that uh, prior to being uh, president of the United States. The legacy media, in fact, is now starting to ask him questions about this. That tells you perhaps uh, where they're at with this. Do you think there is fire causing this particular smoke? 100 percent. I've seen the records. Uh, you know, I've stated this during during mob school. I think the Biden cramp family was asleep during money laundering class because the money clearly. I mean, when you're paying minors, kids with the name Biden minors, hundreds of thousands of dollars for nothing. I mean, you know, I wish I was I wish I, that sounds like Congress paying somebody hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars for doing nothing. But if you follow the money, it's 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 over 20 million. I suspect it might even double every time you turn over a rock. There's something there. And the Justice Department is just uh, sitting on their hands um, and not doing anything about it. They had five years to investigate Hunter. And he got basically what I've seen people in Tennessee get a larger punishment for a traffic violation. Congressman Burchett walked and and with two different. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I've got to let you go. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Joseph. It's been great. Coming up next, a terrible topic, chest feeding. We'll tell you about it when we come back. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be giving guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. The Center for Disease Control's pandemic response included politicizing science, disregarding civil liberties, and advocating for school closures, all of which eroded public trust in the federal agency. Now, in an apparent attempt to erode whatever public trust may remain, the CDC's official website recently published advice to help men who claim to be transgender chest feed babies. Instead of focusing on a mother's nourishment of her baby, this chest feeding advice includes pointers for men on how to take a drug cocktail to produce hormones that mimic a pregnant woman's bodies, all while apparently ignoring potential harm such lab-grown hormones would have on a delicate infant. What fresh madness is this? Joining me now to discuss it is Mary Zock, She's the director of the Center for Human Dignity at Family Research Council. Mary, good to see you today. Thanks so much for having me on, Joseph. Now, Mary, more importantly for these purposes, in addition to being the director of our Center for Human Dignity, you are also a mother. What was your reaction when you first heard this story? I think it's horrifying. You know, one of the things about being a mom is that being a mom is centered on others. The, the womb is actually the only place in the body. The woman's uterus is the only organ that is actually created to house another. And so motherhood itself is other focused and, and chest yeah. feeding is self-centered, self-focused. It's, it's a perversion of a beautiful act that is intended to nourish a child. Now, significantly, I think, this guidance is lacking any kind of analysis about the impact that this might have on a child. Now, in recent years, we've followed a lot of state legislation, things like the SAFE Act, that would prohibit states, well, state legislation in which they would prohibit doctors from giving uh, puberty blockers to 12-year-olds or from removing the genitalia of children. And the response to that is always, oh, it's for the best interest of the children. They need these things. In this case, they're not even attempting to make an argument that it's in the best interest of the child. What do we learn from that? No, they certainly aren't. It is 100% focused on the man who is masquerading as a woman and who has this perverted desire to, uh, to feed a child or to pretend to feed a child. We know that, that breastfeeding is focused on the baby. That's why, that's why moms do it 
it is and can be a really beautiful thing, but breastfeeding can also be painful and challenging and difficult. The, the, the challenge of having your child there and needing to feed him or her while that child is screaming, it's, it's not an easy task, but you do it because you love your child. And that's the same reason why friends of mine who have been unable to breastfeed because of a previous history of breast cancer or because their child had a tongue tie, that's why those mothers choose instead to use formula because their focus is the child, not their own gratification. What this is about is self-gratification. Yeah. Now, Mary, I'm pretty confident there's no science on this. This horror was thought of as apparently like yesterday in historical terms. So we haven't had any experience with this. But hypothetically, what harm could come to children if this became something that people actually tried to do? Well, we know the benefits of breastfeeding, of a mother breastfeeding her child. We know that that breast milk changes itself so that it can act as, as an additional immune system, so to speak. It, it actually pre helps protect the child from, from infection and from diseases. We know that that's certainly not happening with this drug-induced secretion that is, is very much not breast milk. Furthermore, we know that that what is being produced has the potential to cause heart problems for this child. Uh, but the, the real outrage here is that this is a man who is masquerading as a woman, who is exploiting a newborn baby, the most innocent among us, for his own purposes. And, and we know when that newborn child comes out of the womb, there is a natural instinct for that child to, to root around, to peck, to look anywhere for food. And it's up to us to be the adults who say, we will protect that child's life. And we will ensure that that child receives actual nourishment. And Mary, you referred to heart problems there. And I want to drill down into that for a moment to help the, our, our audience here understand what's happening. I th I'm going to hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Domperidone is one of the drugs that's recommended by the CDC as part of this drug cocktail. And what we apparently know is that that hormone can get into breast milk, which means you would then be giving it to an infant. And apparently that drug has been connected to irregular heartbeats, other heart challenges. Is this really just an experiment on infants that we've decided to let happen because apparently it's politically correct? It absolutely is. And, and we're putting a, a brand new baby, a, a child who, who has no defenses at all, who can't speak for himself. We're putting that child's life at risk. We're putting that child at, at risk of having heart palpitations and, and various difficulties so that we can, we can encourage this woke culture. Um, and and this again is just the very opposite of what breastfeeding is meant to do. Even the World Health Organization encourages breastfeeding because of its benefits for the child. It, this removes the focus from the child and places it squarely on the man, which is the total opposite of what motherhood does, which is a complete giving of self. We are seeing more and more examples of this, and I think it's clear evidence that the sexual revolution is really adult-focused and it's not child-focused. Other examples of this is, is essentially human trafficking that takes place when women's bodies are rented 
uh, commercially as, and we call them surrogates. And then the child is removed at birth from the only human it's ever had any connection to. And in many cases, given to people who have no biological connection to it. And the child is, is essentially an accessory in life because it gives fulfillment uh, to the adults, irrespective of what impact that has on the children. Mary, where does this end? Well, I think this is the consequence of a, of a country that looks at children as property. And as you said, we, we've seen this in, in the buying and selling of children in human trafficking. We've seen this in, in the treating of a child as a, as a piece of property when, it is, when that child's life is destroyed through the horrors of abortion, when that child is purchased through surrogacy or even Mary, through the exploitation of the IVF industry. Sadly, we, we are out of time. time and time again. And until we yeah. can get back to a place Mary, we are out of time. I've got to let you go. Every human being. Sorry about that. Coming up next, military recruitment woes continue. We'll talk about it when we come back. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. This week marks the 50th anniversary of the U.S.'s military transition to an all-volunteer corps. But this anniversary comes as the military faces a historic recruiting crisis. The Army, Air Force, and Navy are all on track to miss recruiting goals again this year. Even more alarming, perhaps, according to a recent Pentagon study, 77% of potential recruits are not even eligible to serve due to weight, substance abuse, or overall physical health. Can the military reverse this trend? Joining me now to discuss it and more is FRC's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. 
He was a founding member of the Army's elite Delta Force and former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence during the George W. Bush administration. General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much, Joseph. It's good to be with you. Good to be with you. Now, before we get into the recruiting crisis, I'd like you to comment, if you can, on the recent anniversary, 50 years of an all-volunteer corps. What's the significance of that to you? Well, to be honest with you, I think it was a great idea in uh, 1972 when they made the decision that ultimately took uh, took legs in uh, 73 to uh, have an all-volunteer force. And in and, and doing that, what you were doing is you were guaranteed that the people coming in wanted to be there. And uh, that's not the case when we had a, a draft or uh, or we were bringing people in that had not necessarily wanted to be in the military. So in 1973, when that began, do you think that more American, more Americans wanted to be there than do today? There's no question about that. And I think all the polls show that uh, there are the uh, gen genera generation, especially uh, just does not see an imperative to serve their military, serve in their military to support their country. And uh, and that's a very sad thing. And I will tell you that a lot of that uh, is really what's behind this uh, failure to meet our recruiting goals. And that is because in, in large measure, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to say anything about it. But in large measure, we have taken history out of the public schools and out of the universities. And we're talking about American history. And as a result, they have no idea what this country is, the price that's been paid for this country, who our founding fathers were, and what our military has done around the world for nations uh, that uh, we, some in some cases, we don't even hear about. So I think that uh, history is a key to turning all of this around and being able to get young people back into the military. General, you talk there about the lack of interest in serving among the younger generation. According to a 2022 morning consult poll, only 16% of Gen Z, and that's uh, those under 24, said they were very proud to be American. Now, this is a huge difference. It's significantly lower than the 73% of baby boomers, their grandparents, who say they are very proud to be an American what do you think led to this huge disparity between older and younger Americans in terms of how they feel about America? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I just told you part of it, and, and that is the fact that they don't know our history. They uh, they have been denied the uh, right to actually be proud to be Americans because they don't know what America has done for the world. We have done more for the world than any other nation in history. And they are not aware of that. So that is a that, that's a very difficult thing for me to accept. The other thing is, though, that uh, as we uh, have uh, watched the uh, Marxist in America, the Marxist movement, and it's real, and you can't deny it anymore. That Marxist movement has done everything they could to denigrate this this nation. And uh, and you, you ask yourself, where do these young people get their information? And and uh, they get it on social media. And if you just look at social media, you see that there's nothing but but uh, criticism of America. Everything that we've ever done has either been uh, hidden from the public, for, especially from Generation Z, 
or it has been altered in such a way that you have no no perspective in terms of what America has done and how much we benefited the entire world. General, another contributing factor to the recruiting challenge, 77% of potential recruits are unqualified to serve because of health problems or substance abuse issues. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, first of all, that that number is climbing every year. And, and we really need to be very, very concerned about that. Now, I think what you'll see is that uh, these young people, uh, there, there, are, uh, there is a big job market out there, but that's not the reason that they are not coming in. They are hearing the horror stories of what's happening in the military as these soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines are being forced to sit in a classroom and have someone tell them, that all of you white guys are uh, oppressors and all of you black guys are the ones they've oppressed throughout our history. And, and, and then when you throw into that, the uh, vaccination that, was, that they didn't want to take, most of them didn't want to take. And those that did want to take it were able to, but those that didn't want to take it were bullied. Uh, they were put out of the military, over 8,000 people put out of the military. You think that might impact on our recruiting when they get out and they tell all their buddies and all the people that they're associated with, don't go in the military, don't go in the military. They will do these things to you and that is not what you're going in to do. And you'll spend less time preparing for war and more time trying to be woke. And as to the physical fitness issues, perhaps video games have become a national crisis and we'll see how to fix that as well. General Boykin, thank you so much for your time today. Glad to be with you, Joseph. Coming up next, we have two institutions gaining growing distrust from the American public, the Supreme Court and our elections process. We'll talk about it when we come back. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND. 
stand to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Last week, the Supreme Court delivered landmark decisions in favor of religious liberty, freedom of speech, and equal opportunity for all. Naturally, many on the left responded by attacking not only the decisions themselves, but the legitimacy of the Supreme Court itself. While the left's attacks are clearly born of frustration about the outcomes, comes at a time where there is growing public distrust in our systems and our processes. A recent national survey from Rasmussen Report finds 54% of likely U.S. voters believe that cheating will affect the outcome of the next presidential election. That includes 30% who think it is very likely that that will happen. What happens if the public loses faith in the Supreme Court and our election system? Joining me now to discuss this is Ken Blackwell. He's a senior fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance at the Family Research Council. Ken, good to see you today. Joseph, good to be with you, sir. Well, to get us started, I want to play a reaction from MSNBC host Joy Reid that's representative of how the left is talking about the Supreme Court these days. Let's play clip four. We begin tonight with the Supreme Court, which nowadays is acting more like a super Congress with last week's rulings on affirmative action and LGBTQ rights and on everything from voting rights to women's rights, labor policies and guns. They have acted like unelected politicians and not a court. Ken Blackwell, is the Supreme Court acting like unelected politicians rather than a court? No, and I, I think what she wanted uh, is an activist court uh, that would, in fact, move away from the Constitution, reinterpret uh, the founding principles in such a distorted way uh, that uh, there was there is no stability. So, you know, Joy, Joy Reid is a, a, a radical leftist. Uh, she, in fact, wants an activist court uh, that would, in fact, remake the United States of America in an image uh, consistent, for, perhaps, if you look back in history with Mao's China uh, and the, uh, the old uh, so Russia. Uh, and and, and that's, that's, that's just what we're up against. 
uh, with this modern day crowd of uh, uh, Marxists. Now, Ken, it's interesting to hear her say that this is an activist bench because stereotypically it's the conservative side that would say, no, there's a real original intent. We need to be faithful to that. And if we want to depart from that, you actually have to legislate, change the law or amend the Constitution. And it's the left side of the political spectrum that has said, well, the words don't really matter. It's a living, breathing document. Meaning changes over time as as the culture changes and our values changes. And it's important that the courts be sensitive to the changes in the culture. And therefore, they've actually been pretty supportive of legislating from the bench. That's how they got abortion rights with Roe versus Wade. That's how they redefined marriage and the Obergefell decision. Why is it that you think, do you think now that someone like Joy Reid is saying, well, these shouldn't be activist justices, they shouldn't be legislating from the bench? Well, she's uh, a reactionary. Uh, not only a uh, Marxist revolutionary, she's a reactionary to uh, the originalism uh, that has been uh, displayed uh, in a lot of the decisions of this court. Uh, President Donald Trump gave us three justices, uh, Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch, uh, that actually uh, made the court uh, heavy and it's leaning towards originalism. Uh, and that's been that's been good. That's been good for America. You know, Joy Reid is the same person who basically thinks that, uh, you know, you can, you, your, your gender is very, uh, very liquid, very fluid. Uh, you can change it uh, on, on a whim. Uh, and, 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 and that's, that's the kind of nonsense uh, that she advocates. Uh, and I, I, and I think that we should just say, stop it, Joy, just stop it. I, you know, the, the American people are not going to listen to that. For additional context to this reaction, one of the cases that the Supreme Court decided was the case of 303 Creative. Uh, this involved a website designer. Very simply, the Supreme Court said that the government cannot force a website designer to say something they don't believe. Now, that's actually not a new principle in American law. And they established, reestablished something that has really been the status quo since the Constitution was written. There's been no point in our past where any court said, yeah, as a condition of, well, this is not true of any court. I'm, that's, a, that's an overstatement. But we have not had a general jurisprudential position that the federal government or a state government can force someone to say things they don't believe. And so when the re, when the Supreme Court restated that position here, that's what they determined to be activism, I guess. Well, look, one of the things that the left fails to realize, or perhaps they don't want most Americans or all Americans to realize, uh, that what has really made us different uh, in our 247 years is that we put a premium on the primacy of the individual and the human conscious. Uh, and, and what we're now starting to see from this court uh, that's dominated uh, by originalists uh, is, is, is an appreciation for respect of the individual uh, uh, conscious uh, and religious and religious liberty. Uh, this is, I think, a, a, a signature decision by this majority. And again, I want to go back to say uh, that with the, the help of a lot of folks, uh, including Tony Perkins and the Family Research Council, 
uh, speaking into the, the, the president's decision making, President Trump gave us three individuals through his appointments, his nominations uh, that have changed uh, the, the direction of the court and taken us back yeah. uh, to a conservative constitutionalism or originalism. Uh, and that's that's been good uh, because there is a, a healthy respect of this court uh, of individual liberty, of, of the separation of, of powers, uh, and uh, and the fact that uh, the family uh, is the incubator of, yeah. of liberty uh, and God is at the center of the culture of our nation. I agree with you uh, about the three justices that President Trump uh, nominated and put on the bench. I shudder to think what the country would look like had Hillary Clinton won that election and she had filled those vacancies instead. I think for all intents and purposes, the First Amendment, as we have always understood it, would no longer function. And that would be a world that none of us uh, really wants to live in. But Ken Blackwell, I want to pick up on a principle or an argument that you just made there about recognizing the right of the individual rather than groups necessarily. And I think that was a theme in the affirmative action case as well, where the court said that when it comes to college admission, you can't use racism to fight racism. You can't count somebody's skin color against them or for them, even if you have good intentions. Is that a fair restatement of what they did? Absolutely. And if you go back and you look at the Civil Rights Act of 1964, a careful reading of it, it, it will show you that it is implanted in the language that you, in fact, uh, can't discriminate, use discrimination to fight discrimination, uh, and there, and that the essence of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 isn't to lay special treatment on any citizens to the to the denial of individual or equal protection of other citizens. Uh, and so, what what this court has done. It's taken us back, uh, I think, uh, to a, a fundamental principle uh, that puts a, a the primacy of of uh, the individual and the centrality of God in the in the life of this nation. I think the money quote from the majority opinion in that affirmative action case was that quote eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it end quote. And, in, and I think that's going to live for a long time. Now, Ken Blackwell, I want to go back to a little bit about the reaction to this, because it has been, we, we saw Joy Reid's reaction from that, but it's also come from Congress itself. Here's a tweet that Elizabeth Warren sent out on April 24th of this year, so before these decisions, but uh, post Dobbs and all of the other things. And she said, I'll be blunt, right-wing extremists have hijacked the Supreme Court of the United States from shredding abortion rights to rigging the rules against workers and consumers, an out-of-touch majority is substituting their own views for the rule of law. Ken Blackwell, what do you think the implications of these kind of attacks from members of the United States Senate against the Supreme Court are? Well, look, they want to mold the Supreme Court in, in their image, uh, and they want to move us away from the constitutional principles that has made us uh, the, the, the greatest country in the history of the world. Uh, one of the things that this court understands and is that, you know, uh, the, the human condition isn't a spectator sport and, and our country isn't perfect. But as Lincoln said, we, it, it is perfectible. 
uh, and it's done by individuals, uh, not, not government. The reality is, is that a great society is the work of good people doing great things together, not of great governments doing great things. Uh, and, and, and that's a, a principle that Elizabeth Warren uh, can't get her mind wrapped around. Uh, she, she is, in fact, uh, a status, uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's really reflected in all that she says and does. I, I, Joseph, I, look, I think we ought to, as, 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 a, as a nation, celebrate the intellectuals and scholars uh, who actually were on the front line, like Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, Shelby Steele. Uh, these folks, you know, uh, basically understand that what Martin Luther King was talking about was making sure that we lived in a society where everybody's human dignity was, was respected. Uh, he, he, in fact, talked about it in saying that uh, what we wanted was respect for one's character, uh, not the celebration of the, 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 uh, the, the color of one's skin. Ken Blackwell, that makes me think of, of another question, because there seems to be a special kind of animosity on the left reserved for Clarence Thomas. They, they have a problem with all of the conservative justices, but they've gone after him especially hard, uh, claiming ethics violations. He's done things that essentially every Supreme Court justice has done over the last 20 years, but they want him. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that he's not just conservative, but that he's a black conservative, and so that's a special kind of a problem for them? Yeah, he explodes their mythologies, uh, and that is a, a real threat uh, to um, their 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 power their power base. Uh, and look, uh, Clarence is a strong man of uh, a strong character, uh, and uh, look, he is going to do the right thing, uh, and that will uh, just set a lot of liberals and radicals' hair on fire. But so be it. Yeah. Another subject that you know something about is elections. I mentioned at the top of the segment that 54% of voters, according to a Rasmussen poll, believe that cheating will affect the outcome of the next presidential election. What do you make of that? Well, look, we have to constantly work to, to make sure that it is easy to vote, but, but hard to cheat. And Ken Kukowski and I, uh, over a decade ago, wrote a piece for the Yale Law Review uh, that talked about uh, the, the development of, uh, <clears throat> of our, of our uh, voting rights. We, we said we have, we've spent a lot of time concentrating on voter rights, which has been appropriate, but we actually should deal with the duties of citizenship, which means that we might have to take a little time to make sure that we do those things that people will have confidence that voters are who they claim to be and that the process is is free of corruption yeah. uh, and, and and cheating. And, and that's what we have to constantly work, making it easy to vote but hard to cheat, looking at ways that we can make our, our system of voting more transparent, uh, but actually uh, more, <laughs> more, uh, more free of uh, corruption and, and cheating. And I'll just give you an example. You know, we, we, we really can't move to a system where we depend on vote by mail 
to a, an extraordinary uh, heavily weighted sense because by their own admission, the US Postal Services loses 3% of the mail. If you begin to take a look at how many races for city council, mayor's races, state uh, legislatures, Congress, and the presidency are one within the margins of litigation, you know that we can't afford to move to a system where, where, where we, we're apt to lose 3% of the ballots. Yeah, that does seem like a problem if you're just accepting the fact that 3% of the vote is somehow going to be lost. Ken Blackwell, perhaps the last question for you in about a minute. We know there were a lot of shenanigans in 2020 around the election. Rules changed, kind of COVID emergency claims. Have things improved since then in a way that should make voters feel better? Well, uh, it's been it's been uneven. Uh, there There have been steps taken to make sure that nursing homes are, uh, and seniors in nursing homes are protected from abuse. There ha have been moves to make sure that uh, voters uh, with, with signature verification processes uh, are, voters are who they claim to be. Uh, yes, but there have also been states where uh, there has been a very loosening of, uh, of some voting processes that uh, make makes it imperative that we are very vigilant as we go into this election. Uh, engagement, using our human agency, engaging, not sitting on the sidelines, not wringing our hands, getting involved in the Ken process Blackwell. is so important. And that's thank what you for we that are so much. Encouraging people to do at the Family Research Council. Thank you for your time. We are out of time. We're going to continue to follow up on that. Thanks for being with us today. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.